Welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. Man, uh, we are so glad that you are here this morning with us, and we're excited to start a new series here today called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Now, I don't know about you, but I can't really say that line without having a song kind of go off in my head, and I'm sure that if you were from a certain uh, time growing up, then this was actually a really long time because this show went for a long time. You were a, a child who watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And one of the things that uh, I feel like everybody thought uh, growing up was, I wish I had a neighbor like Mr. Rogers, right? And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, we cannot intro a series like this and not at least play uh, the theme song for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So check it out. Well, say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? A neighbor. Isn't there just something about that song? Like, you just like, thank you, thank you. Uh, seriously. Uh, uh, everyone said, Why, where's your sweater? How come you're not singing it? Uh, People mistake me for having skill. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, you just, I, I watched a lot of videos looking for a one high quality uh, clip of Mr. Rogers' theme song. Come to find out there's one, uh, just one on YouTube. Um, but man, every time I'd watch it, just, you just find yourself smiling. Because like everyone wants to be in, in a neighborhood just like that, where you have someone like that in your life. But the sad reality is this, a quick Google search on the state of neighbors in the United States will reveal kind of the opposite of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, is that, that this is not the norm for people. When I Googled kind of neighboring in the United States, uh, what I found was research that showed that the majority of people in the United States, when it comes to where they live, are dealing with five major things. The first one is isolation. This is the world that we live in. We are isolated 
more than ever. And what's interesting is they've done all these studies on isolation and the impacts that it has on our lives. And what they've found is that isolation is correlated with negative health consequences, including depression, poor sleep quality, accelerated cognitive decline, poor cardiovascular function, and impaired immunity at every stage of life. Why? Because we're not meant to live alone. We're meant to be in community with one another. It also, studies have found that loneliness is growing in our country. You've heard us talk about this in the past, that, that they've actually said that there is a loneliness pandemic that is happening here in the United Kingdom. They've actually uh, appointed a minister of loneliness to address this issue that is happening within our world. Why? Because we live lonely lives. We're connected, but we're not in community. And those are different things. People are not known. People are struggling with fear like never before. Why? Because what is unknown is scary, right? What's unknown is scary. And when we don't sp spend time getting to know people, what happens is we become wary of them. And as a result, it becomes easy to imagine the worst about them. So fear is growing amongst our people. Misunderstanding is happening in our communities as well, right? It's easy to get the wrong idea about someone. You know, if you see a rundown house, you might just assume, oh, they're not taking care of their house because they're lazy or whatever, right? But if you're actually in relationship, you might see that it's a, it's a slew of other issues that are coming up against that person that is causing time for yards to be, uh, to be kind of moved to the back burner, right? Why? Misunderstanding is a big deal. Division is like never before. Since, we're all, since we are misunderstood, we're divided because we think others of others as a viewpoint rather than a person. And the truth of the matter is this is not the neighborhood that Mr. Rogers invited us to be a part of. And the interesting thing is Again, we're in this world where we, we talk about community more than ever. Why? Because we have these things in our pockets. But what has happened is these things have created a counterfeit community. It's connection, but it's not community. And what we think is, as long as I'm connected through social media, then that is enough. But that's not actually what God has designed for us to experience. I think of like just my cell phone when I was in high school. I got a cell phone when I got my first car. That was when I needed a cell phone. And on that cell phone, uh, there's no color screen. It was the old Nokia brick phone. You guys remember that? Uh, that thing, you could throw that thing against a brick wall and it would actually be better off, right? It'd be one of those things. Like it, it grew in strength somehow. You could run over it and it would just, you know, call your home somehow. You know, it's one of these things like, and uh, it, had, it didn't have a color screen, but it did have Snake on it. Uh, if you guys remember the game Snake, that game was awesome. Um, and, but the thing was, I only had a limited amount of minutes through MCI or cellular. I think, or singular, that's what it was, singular, uh, singular wires. And I only had a certain amount of minutes, but after 9 p.m., then I could call, right? That was like how I grew up with a cell phone. And it wasn't until almost out of college when that kind of changed for me. But now today, we have, we have computers in our pockets. I mean, literally, my cell phone right now has like 200 times the hard drive space than my first college laptop did. Right? I mean, it's just wild at the advancement of technology, and yet people are more connected, but they are more lonely 
than they've ever been before. Why? Because we might be connected, but we're not in community with one another. So is this what life is supposed to be like in our neighborhoods? Is this what life is supposed to be like when it comes to the community that we find ourselves in? The resounding answer, friends, is no. This is not how it's supposed to be. Jesus, in Matthew 22, he gives us a plan for a world that is longing for community over connection. And it's in this this passage where Jesus lays out a simple but incredibly profound invitation for you and I to take hold of. So we're going to read about that right here in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus' plan for the world that is longing for this kind of life that we dream about is to love him with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is what he's inviting us to. This Pharisee comes and says, how would you summarize it all? How would you summarize all of the law and the prophets, all of the scriptures? And Jesus comes and he synthesizes it down to those two commands. And this is the simple command that Jesus gave to each of us, which we call the great commandment. The great commandment. When I think of like this uh, Pharisee asking Jesus this, I, I, I would remember when my kids were just entering into preschool and kindergarten, I would say, we want you to have a good day. Have a good day today. And finally, one of my kids said, what does it mean? What does it take for me to have a good day? And we kind of sat there and, and thought about it. We talked about it as a family. And we kind of landed on, you know, the simple steps that we would want you to do to have a good day are listen to your teacher obey what they tell you to do, Uh, be kind to the people around you, and always tell the truth. So you'll hear us say all the time, listen, obey, be kind, tell the truth. Hey, have a good day today, okay? Listen, obey, be kind, tell the truth. Don't forget those things, right? So like that's our way to kind of synthesize, hey, have a good day to our kids. Jesus's way to kind of synthesize the whole of scripture down to these two commands is what we call the great commandment. This is it. And like I said, in the great commandment, Jesus, he lays out a pathway to live out his kingdom vision. He lays out a pathway to to live out this kind of way of the kingdom that we had been talking about all through our last series on earth as it is in heaven. And now we get to begin to really put this into practice in a real practical way. And the first kind of thing that he says, like we've already said, is love God with all of who you are. This was not new to the Israelites. When Jesus quotes this this verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, what he was doing is he was quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, which is known as the Shema. And what would happen daily is they would gather together and they would all, at a certain time of the day, they would repeat the Shema together, corporately. This was something that was on their lips at all times. This is something that they lived out and believed 
and sought after as a community regularly. And this threefold expression of heart, of soul, of mind was a way of saying that this is a whole life's pursuit. It's, it's all of who you are, and it's going to take all of your life to begin to love Jesus this way. This is why in each of those phrases, Jesus says, all of your. It's not like, hey, give Jesus some of your Sunday in the morning. No, he's saying this is all of your life. This is a whole life's pursuit. Every part of who you are is meant to love God in these ways. Every faculty, every capacity. And this is true from whatever angle you choose to consider to follow Jesus. It doesn't matter where throughout the Gospels you read this. This is the invitation that Jesus has for us. And this kind of love for God will result in obedience to all that he has commanded. And I love that Jesus lays this out first. The first and greatest commandment is this. But what Jesus does next is, I think, genius. Because he doesn't just stop there, as most people would have assumed. Jesus goes beyond the original question and adds a second commandment that is just as foundational. Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And when Jesus says, and the second is like it, what he is saying is that this commandment is of equal importance. It says of equal importance to the first one. For Jesus, loving your neighbor is just as important as loving him. And when I read that, I'm convicted. When I, when I think of that, I'm convicted. Because we don't necessarily treat it the same all the time. But again, Jesus, while this is a genius kind of move that he is making, it's not original with him. This, this command was actually found in Leviticus 19, verse 18. And Jewish interpreters have long kind of recognized the value of each of these commandments together. But many people believe that Jesus was kind of the first to fuse the two together as full summaries of the law. But these were commands that the people regularly understood and sought after. Why? Because divine love, it issues an interpersonal love. It's kind of, it warrants this kind of love that moves you towards the people around you. When you fully grasp and hold on to the love of God in your life, it will naturally propel you to the people around you. Jesus says, as you love yourself. I mean, that's a big part of loving your neighbor, as you love yourself. And, and many people in kind of our modern therapeutic self type of way say, see, what's actually most important is to love yourself well before you can love others well. And, and I think that makes sense. Um, but the reality is I don't believe that Jesus is calling his followers to only self-love. I, I do believe that that's a pre, that kind of presupposes um, how to love your neighbor, a healthy view of yourself. But don't get lost into this kind of, I have to love myself. You would just treat people the way you would want to be treated. Remember the golden rule that we talked about a few weeks ago? This kind of played itself out in a funny way for our family a few years ago. Or actually, this was a little while ago when we were in Philadelphia at the time. Um, my wife, she worked at a hospital, and as a result, she, I felt like she was always kind of on alert with people just because there had been a string of kind of some scary stuff that had happened at her hospital. And so this one day, this 
this woman had kind of been driving back and forth down our street. And Danielle, you know, after like the third time, was like, this is weird. What is this lady doing? And sure enough, a knock comes on our door. And the lady uh, comes and she asks where our neighbor lives. So she was asking by name for our neighbor, Merle. And she was like, where is Merle? I think he's around here. And Danielle, she automatically went into kind of investigation mode because that's what she did for her job. So she would like, she was asking her questions like, well, what are you trying to do? Like, how, how do you know Merle? Like, blah, 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 all these things. And the lady was not giving uh, valid answers to this. And so she ended up not giving uh, Merle's information out. She didn't say, hey, this is next door. And so the lady ended up driving away. And so after the lady drove away. Danielle went next door and knocked on the door to Merle and said, hey, just so you know, I think I kind of, uh, I kind of saved you here. I protected you from our neighborhood. And he was like, man, I feel safe from you, uh, safe living next to you. And Danielle was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Merle goes, because not even the church secretary who wants to drop off pies can get my address from you. <laughs> uh, so... She was going out of town, and the church secretary wanted to drop off pies for a bake sale that was coming up, and uh, not, not under Danielle's watch. Um, so you want to treat people how you would want to be treated, okay? Like, that is the goal when it comes to this. And so Jesus, he is inviting us into kind of a new way of experiencing life in the kingdom. We love him with all of, that we, all of, we, all of who we are. And we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. This is what the rest of this series is going to be about. How do we actually put this into practice? How do we love our neighbors as we love ourselves? This is our desire for us. And these two commandments are great in Jesus' eyes because all of the Old Testament hangs on them, he says. They come from the law, which we see in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Uh, but it says all the law and the prophets, they hang on them because nothing in Scripture can be truly obeyed unless these two commands are obeyed. The entire revelation of Scripture demands a heart relationship marked by total allegiance to God, loving him and loving our neighbor. Without these two commandments, the, doesn't, the Bible won't produce any fruit in our lives. Without these two commandments coming. So to sum up this simply, all the other commandments are summed up in these uh, verses from the Old Testament, known as the Great Commandment. So it's a big deal, friends. Can you imagine the weight of these simple words? Can you imagine what it looked like for the early church to take these words of Jesus and begin to apply them to their lives. And make no mistake about it, the early church held on to these words. All throughout scripture, we see that this is not only something that they held on to, but they commanded the other churches to live out as well. Look at this in Galatians 5.14. Paul, he's writing to the church in the area of Galatia. He's saying, he says this, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Peter, in 1 Peter 4.8, he says this, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. John, in 1 John 3.11, says, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And then John, the very next chapter, he says this, We love because he, Jesus, first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. See, what these writers are encouraging the church to do is to live out the great commandment. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that you will only be able to love the people around you to the extent that you love God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. This is what he's saying. That's a convicting verse because many of us, we would sit back and say, I have great love for God the Father, but that neighbor is annoying, right? Um, I have great love but we don't, for God, but we don't move towards the people closest to us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you can't do one without the other. John is literally, he makes it clear. He says, you cannot love your brother who you have seen, or you cannot love God whom you have not seen and not love your brother who you have seen. This is kind of what Jesus is laying out for us, this new way of life. Sure, these are the commands of the church, but what did it practically look like for the early church? Again, we have a picture of it in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Here we see this picture of how the church started to live out this command to love them uh, like they love each other. All right, look at what he says in verse, uh, look at the description of the church in Acts 2, 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, they were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see how they were loving each other as they loved themselves? They met together regularly. They gathered around the apostles' teaching. They gathered around prayer. They shared meals with one another. And they gave generously to anyone who had need to the point where they ultimately, to the point where they ultimately went and they would sell their stuff to give to one another. They were with each other. I think that is such a big part of loving our neighbor as ourselves. In the early church, did this so well, primarily because I think they understood the ABCs. The ABCs are what people long for. The ABCs are what people long for is to be accepted. Everyone longs for a place to be accepted, a place to be told that you are okay. Everyone longs for a place to belong as well. Everyone desires to be in this spot, this space where they can simply be to be told that they are okay just as they are. And they long to have a place where they can be cared for, to be cared for, to have others come alongside of them throughout their lives and just care for them in this way. These are the core desires of everyone around us. And these are the core desires that were being met in the early church. And I believe that they are core desires that continue to be met throughout the church here today. And through Jesus, we have the solution, the best solution to meet these needs in people's lives. But I believe that part of the problem is that we have become numb to the great commandment. It's one of those things that we hear about all the time in church, but when it comes to living it out, we just kind of assume, eh, it's, it's, it's just a hard ask. Jesus will understand. But Jesus is not kind of giving us this like, eh, do it if you want to offer. He is 
summarizing all of Scripture and inviting us to participate in it. But we've just become numb. We've become numb to these things. I think of like things that I've become numb to in my life. And like I remember uh, in my house when we lived in South Lyon, oh, we, we viewed that house as the greatest gift and answer of prayer that God had ever given, us, given to us. We were so excited about that. And by the end, when, eight years later, when we had sold that house, I could not be more happy to be away from that house and be rid of that house, right? Isn't it kind of funny how you become numb to the very things that you pray for? I did not call this like the gift of God like I had had called it in the first year that we lived in it. I called it the never-ending money pit by the time we got rid of it, right? Uh, my view of it had changed. Why? Because I'd become numb to its reality. Now, I'm still in the honeymoon phase of my house in Farmington Hills, um, but ask me in eight years, uh, and I hope I'm not numb to it then either. But we've just become numb to these things. We've become numb to the realities that we get to walk in each and every day, and we become numb to this grand invitation that Jesus has given to each of us. This is the invitation of the great commandment, to love the people around us in a way that invites them to experience the love of God. And in the process, we try that. And it's good, and we like it for a season, but towards the end, we think, oh, this is so hard. And so then at the end, we try and justify who is our neighbor anyways, you know? And the interesting thing is that question is not Again, unique to our own hearts. I actually think it's kind of a natural question that that human nature responds with. Because in Luke's account of this same passage, the great commandment, what happens is an expert in the law, a lawyer, comes to Jesus, and he wants to justify himself to Jesus. So he asks this simple question, who is my neighbor? The same question that we ask today when we begin to realize the weight and the heaviness of the great commandment and what it actually means for our lives, this expert in the law, this lawyer, comes to Jesus and asks the same question. Again, I think it's important because it's a question, I think, that goes with all of our human nature when we realize the weight of the great commandment. Here's the account in Luke 10. Again, a story that I'm sure we're all familiar with. But this expert in the law, he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I'm going to time out here. The reason this lawyer wanted to justify himself, I believe, is because when the weight of the great commandment hit him, he realized, oh, I don't have the capacity to do that. And I'm failing at doing that. I'm not loving God with everything that I am. And I'm not loving my neighbor as I truly love myself. And so he wants to... He's feeling the guilt and the weight of what Jesus has just said or what Jesus had kind of just affirmed here. And so he wants to justify himself to make himself feel better. So he's like, okay, if I can define neighbor as I want to define neighbor, then maybe I'm okay in loving my neighbor as I I love myself. So this is why he wants to justify himself because he's feeling the guilt of not being able to do this. So he says, okay, if I can define who is my neighbor the way I want to define it, then maybe I'll be okay. So Jesus replies and says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan... 
As he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii of his own money and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So Jesus responds, not with, a, with an answer of your neighbor is whoever is this or this or this. No, he responds in a story that just shook the foundation of what people expected neighbor to be. So Jesus, in this story, he, he defines neighbor far broader than we could have ever defined it on ourselves. And the lawyer, this expert in the law, could have never imagined that God would define neighbor as a hurting man in a rough part of town from a different ethnic group who needed his compassion. You see, the priests and the Levites, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the morally upright people. When anyone needed to look to what needed to be done in the the area. They would look to the priests and Levites, but these two men, they walk right past this person who was injured. And a Samaritan person who was, who was kind of despised among the Israelites because they were viewed as like half blood. You know, like they were, they were uh, the Samaritan people who had kind of, they were Jewish people who under uh, captivity, they had joined with the captive, our captors, and they had kind of become like these traitors to the nation of Israel. And so Samaritans were despised by Jewish people. And so a Samaritan would have been the last person that Jesus would have elevated to the hero of the story. But yet Jesus says the Samaritan was the one who cared for this person like a neighbor. And this, is, this would have rocked his listeners, And I also imagine that the lawyer, this expert in the law, would have been shaken when he realized that God, the Son, Jesus, came into the world to be this kind of neighbor to him. We don't know this from the scripture, but I have to imagine at some point these people who realized who Jesus was and what his sacrifice meant realized that this is actually the kind of neighbor Jesus is to us. He sees our brokenness and sin, and he comes uh, comes to us in compassion. Jesus demonstrates God's love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we didn't deserve his love, he still died for us. Jesus pays the cost for our salvation by shedding his blood, and Jesus is coming again to receive us into an eternal life and an eternal kingdom that we learned about in our last series. And I've long heard people teach the story of the Good Samaritan and say this about neighbor. Neighbor is anyone around you who we can share God's love with. And that's kind of the way that you define neighbor. And I think that's really good. That's a great answer. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Neighbor is anyone around us who we can share God's love with. So it's the, the parents on your kid's soccer team. It's your coworkers at the office. It's that person who's driving slowly in front of you. You know, it is, it is anyone that we come into contact with that we can share the love of God with. But I believe that there's a problem in defining neighbor in this way. Here's my problem with this definition of neighbor. It is so big. 
I mean, isn't it so big? That is the broadest definition of neighbor that we can have. And I think it's so broad that it ultimately allows us to not really do anything. Kind of allows us to get off the hook. If we say everyone is my neighbor, then it can become an excuse for avoiding the implications of following the great commandment. Our neighbors become defined in the broadest of terms. And therefore, we, we instead of loving the people across the street or the people uh, that are being helped in the organizations that we give to, we think, oh, that's all good enough. I'm giving to this organization. They're helping them. That's enough. I just don't think that that's what Jesus meant. I think he had more specific, something more specific in his mind when he was giving us the great commandment. We don't have to feel guilty, we tell ourselves. After all, we can't be really expected to love everyone, can we? I mean, these are the justifications that we go through in our mind. But when we aim at everything, often what happens is we miss or we hit nothing. Right? When we kind of aim big, we will often miss big as well. So when we insist that our neighbors are, is everyone, oftentimes what happens is we are neighbors with no one. And that's kind of the sinful part of our human nature. We become like the lawyer who wants to find a loophole. We sit back and say, okay, but, but let's think about this really. Like, how do we do this? And we begin to justify ourselves before God. And if we don't take Jesus' command literally, to literally love our neighbor as we love ourselves, then we turn the great commandment into nothing more than a metaphor, where we have a metaphoric love for our metaphoric neighbors, and our communities are changed, but only metaphorically, Right? In other words, let's be honest, nothing changes. So I believe that while this is a true definition of the word neighbor, I believe that the point of the story is to move the great commandment from a theory to a reality. From a theory to a reality. Jesus was not giving us a command to theorize. He was giving us a, man, a command to live out and obey in our everyday lives. This is why he invites this expert in the law to go and do likewise. He wants us to go and do this. There is action that is meant to be accompanied with this command. And again, throughout the Bible, God tells us to love our neighbors. And he emphasizes that along with loving him, this is the most important thing that we can do. So, my question for you this morning is this. How are you loving your neighbor as you love yourself? Not everyone, your actual neighbors. Like the people who live closest to you. For some of us, loving our neighbors will require us to actually realize that we actually have neighbors. In our old neighborhood, I remember in South Lyon, we, we moved in there and we were all eager and our family grew pretty quickly. And so in the midst of that, we realized that this was not our forever home. And so mentally, we kind of checked out. We started really strong at being really good neighbors and getting to know everyone. We would be intentional. Like if we saw our neighbors outside, we would go outside and try and engage with them. We'd invite them over for dinner. We'd go out to dinner with some of our neighbors. Like we were really good in the early parts. But once we kind of realized that like, oh, this isn't our forever home or a long term 
long-term spot where we're going to plant roots, we kind of detached and we stopped being intentional. And honestly, we had to, we had to repent of that. And so when we moved into our new neighborhood a couple years ago, we were intentional. We were like ready to go and meet people. The problem was it was after COVID. And so most people, when they left their house, they got into their car in the garage, they opened the garage, they pulled out of the garage, they closed the garage, they went to work, they came back, opened the garage, pulled into the garage, closed the garage, got out of the car. So like we would never see them. Like they would never come outside. We were so intentional that we even talked about, do we even put the swing set in the front yard? Like, do we just like stay up front all the time? HOA wouldn't allow us, FYI. But you know, we were so, and so we're always up front. We're always out in the front. And that was, that was the way that we just began to slowly meet the people around us. And we are constantly trying to be in connection, uh, or in, I'm sorry, in community with them over our simple connection through a Facebook neighborhood group, right? We desire to know them and to be with them. We desire to live out this command in the simple ways. So I think, like oftentimes we think, oh, I'm a good neighbor because I, I snowblowed my neighbor's driveway, right? Or I would give myself an extra pat on the back when I would like snowblow the sidewalk of my neighbors and be like, look at how good of a neighbor I am, you know? And that would be it, right? Or if I like mow and, and kind of weed whip on their side of the lawn, be like, just trying to help you out. Like, no, no, this is, Jesus is expanding to love your neighbor so much more than that. So I want to try a quick exercise with each of us here this morning. On your chairs, you have a magnet. Uh, full disclosure, the magnet's a little bit smaller than we expected, okay? Um, and so um, this magnet, but I, I think this magnet will be a helpful tool um, for you. I lost my magnet. Uh, so I don't know where my magnet is. Uh, so, okay. Well, you got a magnet on your chair. Um, on the chair, yeah, can you throw it up to me? Thanks. I'll give it back to you afterwards. <laughs> so, all right. So on your chair, you have this magnet. And this exercise is meant to help you really just put into practice, are you loving your neighbor? So imagine that you are in the center of this magnet, right? I want you to try and do three things. The first thing is I want you to imagine the eight houses around you, the eight houses around you. Now, some of you are already going to try and find the loophole. Be like, um, Rick, I live in an apartment complex. I only have two people next to me. I don't have a house. Okay, this is, you know, bear with me here, all right? You're going to have to kind of get past it. It's an exercise, all right? Some of you are like, I live on a, I don't live in a perfect square. All right, that's okay. Just eight closest people around you, okay? And step one of this is I want you to, and if you feel led to write on here, you're more than welcome to write on here, but I want you to write just their names, Bonus points if you can write their last names, too, of all eight of your neighbors. No looking at directories, okay? Um, like, just, just genuinely off the top of your head, uh, in your heart. Can you name their names? If you've done that, great. You get to move on to step two. Step two is I want you to know or list something, again, mentally um, or on another separate sheet of paper. I want you to list something about them. Now, not, I'm not saying drives a red car or um, has a pretty garden in the backyard or if you, were in our, if, our, if you were in our family, that's Theo's house, okay? Like the dog, no. You can't know them by their pet's names, all right? I want you to know them by information that you learned through a conversation with them, right? This is what they do for work. 
this is where they went to college, or this is where they went to school, or this is where they grew up. This is some of their hobbies, some of those kind of things, right? And if you can do that with all eight people, okay, I want you to move down to the third, uh, third step here. I want you to write about some of their aspirations, like things that you would only know by being kind of in an in-depth conversation with them. Maybe something along their aspirations, their goals, their dreams, things like that. The whole idea of this series was actually taken from a talk that Adam and I listened to when we were down in Florida for a conference uh, by a guy named Jay Pathak. He wrote a book called The Art of Neighboring, and I started off so strong and listed all the names of my neighbors that I got like one or two of the pertinent information about them, and I could almost answer nothing about dreams or aspirations. And I felt incredibly convicted. And we got back to the hotel that night, and we thought, you know, one of the great things that we can invite our people to do this new church that we are a part of is to love our neighbors from the outset. And so they, these guys in their book, as they've gone around and, and, and have read or uh, done this workshop with people, what they have discovered is about 10% of people can fill out the names of each of their neighbors. Only 3% can fill out uh, the second part, kind of information about each of their neighbors, and less than 1% can fill out kind of in-depth information about each of their neighbors. And some of you are going to sit back and say, but Rick, that's not what he's talking about. Remember, neighbor is anyone you can show God's love to. Right, I understand that. But we also have to recognize that he was using our, the Jewish people's enemy to describe the hero of the story. So before we can get into enemy love on how to do that effectively in our lives, maybe what we should just do is instead of going right for the graduate level course, like let's go to 101 and just learn our actual neighbor's names, Right. I'm just saying this is a practical step for us in loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Because one thing I know for sure, you can't love your neighbors if you don't even know their names. It's just a reality. It's a fact of the matter. And I do think that while Jesus had a broader definition of, of neighbor, I also think that he, he means our actual neighbors as well. The people who live next door. So the question is, are we doing this? Are we actually loving our neighbors what does this exercise reveal about our neighboring or maybe lack thereof? You might come back to me and say, Rick, well, this isn't my dream home, all right? I know I'm only here for a temporary season. This isn't going to be where I plant roots. Listen, friends, that was my way of thinking for a season as well. But a verse that kind of convicted me was a verse in Acts 17. In Acts 17, Paul, he's writing to, or he's, he's uh, speaking to this area in Athens, and what happens is pretty profound. He comes, and he's talking to these leading thinkers, and in his description of the gospel, he kind of plants a seed that I think uh, helps us a lot. Here's what he says in Acts 17, 26 and 27, verses 26 and 27. He says, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And look at this. And he marked out their appointed times in history, and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Friends, God has marked out your appointed time in your appointed place where you are living for this season, for a purpose. 
You are where you are for a reason. Yes, it may not be your forever home. That's okay. But you have a purpose in the place where you are. Enjoy that. Fulfill that purpose in loving your neighbor as you love yourselves. When we live this kind of way, we will begin to experience the invitation to the kingdom that God has invited us to experience. We'll begin to experience the kind of life that Jesus has created us for. But it all begins with us learning to love where we live. To love where we live. I I believe that is the takeaway for us here today. When Jesus was asked to reduce everything down to one commandment, he gave us a simple and powerful plan that if acted on, I believe, would literally change the world. This plan offers a different kind of life for each of us. Whenever we center our lives around the great commandment and take very literally, as literal as we can, the idea and practice of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, there's great freedom, there's great peace, and there's great depth in relationship that is able to come into our lives as a result of it. And by becoming these kind of neighbors, we become who we're supposed to be. I believe that. And as a result, our communities become places that God intended them to be. Revival won't just be something we talk about. Renewal will be just something that happens, but it's going to happen in these pockets in neighborhoods around Farmington Hills and Livonia and Southfield and Redford and Northville and Novi and South Lyon. Wherever we are, we go. Those will be the pockets that renewal will begin to happen. Why? Because we're actually walking in the simple realities of what Jesus said all the scripture is summarized by. Church, we can only do a few things really well only do a few things really well. Let's make sure that one of them is the thing that Jesus says is more important than anything else. We don't have to go around the world to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's good, and we support sending out missionaries to the different parts of the world, but for some of us, it will require us to walk across the street and be like, hey, you know what? We've lived across the street from you for a little while, and I'm, I'm a little embarrassed. I don't know your name. Hey, I'm Rick. We just live right here. We, we love this neighborhood, and we would love to get to know you more. Hey, you want to come over for dinner? Hey, we're going to do a bonfire later. Would you love, like to come over? We're going to have some s'mores. No one says no to s'mores. You know, like, you know, it might just be that simple. So, friends, don't, dis, don't let this be a, shart, a chart of shame. A chart. <laughs> a chart of shame. That's a good way to end. Uh, so, um, We'll edit that out of the podcast. Uh, so, uh, a chart of shame. Uh, what, we, what we want this to be is a tool to bless you in how to actually live out the great commandment in your life, in your world. Simply start by walking across the street, walking next door, and having a conversation. And my invitation to you tonight or today is to in addition to kind of walking through this chart, put it on your, on your fridge, pray about it each day this week. A simple prayer of God, give me the desire to be in relationship with my literal neighbors today. Give me the desire to be in relationship with my literal neighbors right now, right today. Open doors, open opportunities. And whenever you see this magnet, let it be 
a challenge and an invitation for you to live out the great commandment that Jesus has given to us. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this simple invitation. The simple invitation to experience the fruit of your simplest command, to love you with all that we are, but to also love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And we know that, that loving our neighbor is a big invite from you, but help us to start small with those eight homes that are around us, the eight people that are around us. Help us to know their names. Help us to know things about them. Help us to get to the point in relationship with them that we even know their dreams, their desires, and we can pray and invite you into those things. Father, our desire is to experience you and your commands in this way. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and do a work of conviction for us here? Allow us to be yours, Jesus. Allow us to be used by you as we walk in obedience to the greatest command that you could give to us. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, the reality is for us to be able to do this well, we're going to need to make room in our lives and our schedules. And so this song is going to simply be a prayer for us to allow that to happen.